0: Let us rise again from our seats, and we'll receive our scripture reading today, which comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. This is his word for us. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, "'Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you.'" But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, "'Go and tell my servant David, "'Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling.'" And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from that time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Good morning, KSPC. Good morning. It is really good, really
1: good to see you. Um, If you are new here, I really welcome you in the name of the Lord. Please come to our church to be fed the word of God and to receive Jesus Christ, and that you and your household would be saved. If you're over there at Sandy Cove, uh, still at the last day of the retreat, uh, please pray for me, I'm pretty tired. (laughs) Uh, With that said, I want to ask you, why does not God live in a house built by men? Because from the beginning of time, he has been on mission. He is a missional God. He is with you at your homes, with you at your workplace, walking with you to teach you the precepts of Jesus Christ so that you would trust in him and be saved to the uttermost. And if God is here in this building right now, why is it? Because he doesn't live here at KCPC. He is in mission with you right now to greet you, to talk with you, and to convict your life. And so what is our response this morning? Do not just be physically awake. Be awake in your soul. Be awake in your spirit. For God is still engaging in mission every week in our church. Many new people come to know who Jesus Christ is. Many young those offer up their lives to calibrate the direction of their workplace and their future for the Lord. And many people here come to teach their children about the ways of following God. And so we must be awake to follow in the mission of God. Amen. And so I invite you in that mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being missionally engaged with my life, for indeed it took the greatest mission in the universe to conquer the obstacles that I have set up to your sovereignty, the rebelliousness of my heart and my pleasure in my flesh. Father, I pray that you would break down many barriers today that keep us from being the subjects of your beautiful mission. And as your people are restored and recovered, as they hear the name of Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins and they offer their lives to you, I pray that your mighty work would be done and completed in their lives. May KCPC be the forefront of your kingdom expansion here in Fairfax, here in Centerville and Nova. Father, would you continue working for you are still engaged in mission through your church. We pray this. Thanking you, knowing that you have a word for us through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before we start, we have a quick announcement. Sorry. Um, uh, We have the apologetics class starting this Tuesday. It's going to be at 7 p.m. at the well. Every other class will be on Wednesday nights after that, but uh, July 11th will be at the well. if you have signed up for it and you haven't heard back, please don't worry. We will send you an email either tonight or tomorrow once the list has been finalized. Also, a DT registration is also happening as well. If you have been at our church for more, more than one year or if you've completed two seven, um, And you've been here for more than one year and you completed a a, a curriculum, a similar training program in your previous church, please sign up. Uh, The links for both the apologetics and the DT class is in our YouTube website and you can look at it uh, as we stream live right now. With that said, uh, welcome to the sixth session, uh, the sixth sermon in the Mission of God series where we are discovering the nature of God's mission for all humanity. And so when we say we are a missional church, we are a missional people that doesn't do it justice to just say uh, repent and believe in Jesus, what we are saying actually is receive the full intended plan and countless benefits and blessings of God for his children that come through faith in Jesus Christ. And all the things that we talk about every week is, see, it's just a A bit, a snapshot of the fullness of God's blessing for you in Christ. And I pray that you would receive that name today to be engaged in God's mission. Especially today. Uh, We come to a critical passage in 2 Samuel, which further clarifies the covenantal structure of the Old Testament. We had Adam receiving a covenant. We had Noah receiving a covenant. And then uh, Abraham and then Moses. And now we have David receiving a further covenant, which is a pivotal, critical point in the Old Testament because it clarifies who the Messiah will come from. It's going to be from the house of David. Now, God especially says in today's passage, it's not David who's going to build a house for him. He will build a household and a dynasty for King David. That is the nature of the covenant, right? But here's the thing. Like, does King David need a home? I think he feels pretty much at home already. You know, let's think about what a home is right now. I asked a middle school student, like, what is home for you? And he says, home is where you go home uh, the Wi-Fi registers automatically. (laughs) Your phone is just linked automatically. And I've had some other people, uh, basically they say, I know where home is because even if the lights are out, I know where to find things. It is structured according to my ideas and my sovereignty over that space. And so King David is looking at his new home now in Jerusalem. God has given him peace. He has delivered him from his enemies. He's chased him out of the kingdom of Israel. They have recovered the full extent of the promised land. And David is at peace, ruling over Jerusalem. Things are, and he's living in a cedar mansion, a huge home right now. David is pretty comfortable where he is. And so he looks to the tent of God where God is still living in a tabernacle where he first designed it in Leviticus. And he's moved with his people in a nomadic lifestyle, walking with his people. And David is asking, Is that tent a home for God? In other words, is that tent comfortable for God? Does he have what he wants there? Is he at home there? And so if you look at verses one through two, David compares his house to the tabernacle and he felt that the tabernacle was not enough for the God of the universe. The tabernacle was intended to be mobile. Exodus 40, uh, 40, 36, and when the cloud was taking up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onwards in all their journeys, carrying the house of God uh, and, and once again settling down when God said to stop. And so David looks at this mobile home And he has a heart towards the Lord that should really be something that we also aspire to. David is saying, I want to build a beautiful home for the Lord. And that does not come from the law. That does not come from minimalistic compliance to God's decrees. Where is that coming from? A heart that loves God. And it goes from beyond the law into relationship and pleasure and love for him. It's an attitude not similar along the lines of, like, how little can I do in this world to escape hell and enjoy life? And we treat Christianity like fire insurance. That is, that is not the path that David is walking along. David is thinking beyond that. He's not, he's not just saying, what can I do to keep happy in this world as a hedonist? He's saying, how can I honor and love and please my God? May that be your attitude today. Amen. Let's go beyond the law. Let's go beyond saying, am I allowed to drink? Am I allowed to smoke? Why is it a sin to watch pornography? Let's go beyond the basic elements of salvation and repentance. Let's go to the house and the heart of God where he draws us into a relationship. Amen? Isn't that what you want? Now, for those who treat Christianity as fire insurance, to just stay out of hell, God invites you into a deeper relationship where you personally know him through the face of Jesus. Beyond minimalistic duty into free choice. But also, for those who want to glorify God above and beyond the law, who want to build a house for the Lord, today's message is very much for you as well. Because what is your desires to glorify God? like? How do we characterize it? It goes beyond the law and that's why it's hard to understand what to do because it's all about free gifts and relationship. Like that's why it's so hard to find an anniversary gift for your wife. She will not tell you what she wants. You have to guess it out of the relationship, right? And it's so hard to live according to a free loving relationship. How do we honor the Lord? It's a conglomeration of my best intention, my, belie- my holiest desires, and my most innocent dreams to love God. So we say, Lord, I want to get a job that pays enough to tithe more to the church. Lord, g- let me win the lottery so that I can give you most of that, right? <laughs> or to let me buy some property so that it could be used as a retreat center or as a missionary household for pastors, or sometimes you say, let me be a doctor who allows me to treat sick people in the name of Jesus and we tack on our most innocent desires that is not controlled by the law, but by the love that you have for the Lord. But what's really interesting is that God denies David his request. We, you know, before we get there, Nathan's response, let's look at verse 3, it's really important to look at this. Nathan doesn't inquire of the Lord. He just says, do as your heart will, because it's it's so innocent. It's so beautiful. It's so honoring, right? So it is not prohibited by law. It's honoring to God, and it comes from a good place from the heart. Why not? That's Nathan's response, but that's where he makes a mistake. Because there is a difference between... A good idea and God's idea. Do you get that? Repeat after me. There is a difference between my good idea and God's perfect idea. Amen. What's the difference though? Building God a home out of love and reverence is a good idea. Loving the Lord through getting a job or finding a home that you can serve more people, that's a good idea. But for this idea to transition into God's perfect idea to serve him, we need to understand what happens here. Like, God says, it shouldn't be King David because King David is a man of war. He has shed much blood, but God wants King Solomon, his son, a man of peace and rest, to build that home. It's not the right timing. It's not the right person. So it's a good idea, and everyone can just formulaically say it is good to build a house for the Lord, but God has a timing and a person and an intent behind all the things that we do. This seems like a very minimalistic difference, but it makes a world of difference because one is disobedience to the Lord and one is obedience to the Lord. And Nathan here seems to be empowering disobedience because he didn't ask God. Thank God that that David inquired of Nathan, and, and Nathan heard from the Lord instead of just bulldozing through a forest to start making God's home. Now, many of you have good ideas to serve the Lord. And, you know, we've made a habit of building both homes at the same time. My home and the Lord's home. Give me straight A's so that I can glorify you. Like, give me a good spouse so that I can enjoy, you know, your creation and glorify you more. Give me children so that I can worship you at home. Like, we we build our houses together. That's a good idea. But, is that God's perfect idea? What turns a good idea into a perfect idea? Repeat after me. A good idea turns into a perfect idea. When I ask God, amen. Amen. That's the only difference. So many people are like, Pastor David, I have so many options. And I'm like, I need to choose which one is the most glorifying to God. And they spend years and years in stagnancy trying to guess the best option. And I tell them, you don't have to know the future. You don't have to know how exactly this is going to glorify God. What you have to do is have a relationship with God and ask him. Because he will not mess up with your life if you choose the wrong option. God's not going to say, that's disobedience. Bye-bye. He's going to say, let's talk. Let's calibrate that idea. Let's turn that into a better idea. Right? What's the beauty behind that? What does God actually want? We're going to talk about that. But let's say, you know, let's say my son Ethan buys and loves Lego pieces to build me a house that's big enough for me to sleep in. Do I want that product? It's, it's tough to step on a logo piece. So you imagine sleeping on one, right? But what would I say to my son? I would say, thank you, but let's talk. Because why? Seeing him build a home is the cutest thing that I could ever imagine. And so I'd be like, hey, let's do that together. Hey, let's break it down. Let's try it over again. Because I want the process of my son's heart being expressed towards me in obedience and action. Not the product. And I want to tell you, he doesn't want the product of your degrees. He doesn't want the product of your perfect obedience. He wants you. And you could fulfill God's wish. You can create a household for him in your heart as you express your love and delight in the Lord right now as you are incomplete in your plans for the Lord. Amen? Right now you can honor him. Amen? It doesn't mean you have to make the best choices. It means you have to ask the right person, inquire of the Lord, and he will turn your, sorry, stupid ideas into perfect ideas because he involves in it right for those of you who have great ideas talk to the lord he doesn't want you to guess correctly he wants you to talk to him because he loves you let's go to verses four through seven why is it that he doesn't need that from us why is it that he doesn't need it from david because god is self-sufficient amen he is the i am He is the only one that can independently exist apart from any philosophical cause and effect, apart from any metaphysical cause. God is the great causer and the mover who does not need the serving hands of people. And so when we try to serve God and to glorify him, we have to remember the fundamental nature of our relationship with God. He alone is self-sufficient. I do not serve him. He serves me. That's why we call this service, not because we're serving God, praying, Lord, give me more money, give me more. No, he is here serving us in the abundance of who he is. He doesn't need glory because he's a source of glory. We say, I will give you glory as if I have enough to give him. No, he is a source of glory and our duty is to reflect it back unto him faithfully and clearly. And we must reflect it back to Him, indeed. We do not provide for God, but He provides for us. We don't hold Him up by our weak hands. He holds us by His mighty hands. Amen? Like, have you tried to hold your life up by the strength of your arms? How has that been going, brothers and sisters? He holds you. That is an understanding that we have to have when we try to serve Him. Why serve Him? Not for the product. Not for the conclusion, but receiving from him, I express back unto him. When I was in seminary, I remember having a dinner with a very well-off family at a restaurant. And in all sincerity, I was, in, I was a part-time intern. Uh, I tried to pay for the meal. Because, you know, don't we do that between friends? Like You eat the meal and then you pretend like you want to pay the meal until someone says, you know, I got it. <laughs> And you, you pretend like you, you lost and you put your wallet <laughs> back in your <laughs> But that day, I remember the look on their face. They were actually offended that I tried to pay for them. Why? They're here to serve me, not me, them. And they had enough. I didn't have enough. <laughs> and they were serving me. And I was like, oh, that's my children trying to build me a Lego house. Like, if he really thinks that building me that Lego house will make me satisfied and content and have enough in the future? He's wrong. I provide for my son. I provide for my children, not they me. And that is the fundamental understanding we have. What are we trying to give to the Lord? He doesn't need it. Triangulate and narrow down and calibrate your understanding of what does God really want in his house? More furniture? more structures, more blueprints. What does he want? He wants his children to come. Amen? He's been waiting for you. So many of you postpone coming to God saying, I got to take care of my sin. I got to do this plan A, B, and C before I approach you. No, he wants you right now in your insufficiency because only by coming to him in your insufficiency, he will give you in his sufficiency. Stop trying to serve him as if you have enough. He is offended. How do you glorify a chef? By saying, I want more of that food. It's so good. Kisses to the chef. How do we say, how do we glorify God? I want more. I need more. The world breaks me, dries me, it kills me, but God. Provides for me every day. It gives me life every day. I have future and direction and purpose and love and meaning in the presence of God. Give me more is the war cry of someone who actually glorifies God. Amen? So, people who glorify God don't give unto Him. People who glorify God receive more from Him. And that is how we show the nature of our relationship creator, creature, father, son, giver, recipient. Clarify that, please. And that will help you understand how to glorify our Lord by enjoying him forever. Enjoying him forever. So verses 8 through 11, that is exactly the message that God has for David. God reminds David of their relationship. Hey, I took you from the pasture. When you were a boy, I fought off your enemies. I drove away the wolves. I took you from being a shepherd, and I made you into a king. And I think this is a really happy sentence from God. He he runs on sentences when he says things like this. And God doesn't just say, "I'll continue building your home. I will give you. I'll give you peace from your enemies. I'll give you more and more tangible blessings." But then he goes into overdrive. God. <laughs> I think he tries to be careful sometimes about revealing too much of of his future plans. But he blurts out, I have future plans for you. I'll build your name. I'll build a throne that goes forever. You can't imagine the things that I promise you eternally. In the next verses, God uses the word forever three times. Three times he used the word forever. God is so ready to bless humanity through David that he is creating an eternity-shaping promise with David right now. Eternity-shaping. Why? Because David was that cute to him. Was David that lovable? God surely loved David. I think God loved David a lot more than a lot of other people. But no, that's not the answer. Why is God creating a covenant that will last forever? Because, once again, you need to understand the nuance of this. God is still on mission. He decided to do this beforehand, and he found the vessel for his plan. He decided to love you before you existed He decided to bless you before you knew how you are going to survive in this world. And he decided, through covenant bearers, that he would create a dynasty through the line of David to be a blessing for all of us before you knew about him and his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that a great source of peace for us? That God knew before and he blessed us proactively before we could even respond. So verses 12 through 16, we think that God is establishing a home for David, but suddenly that home turns into a a throne. He's mentioning a throne now, right? And with an offering that will be like a son to God. And so this idea of a home is like transmorphing in our minds right now. We are thinking more of like physical, uh, you know, log cabin when we first think of a home. But like the idea is changing as God promises more and more and more. What's it turning into? A throne? A kingdom? Which means a people and a territory and a a, a law to govern them? And he's suddenly talking about an offspring, a line of children like a son to God? And in verses 14 to 15, however, as God is clarifying the nature of the house that God is building for David, there is a quick and a slight issue. God refers in 14 to 15, refers to chastisement. He says, when he commits iniquity, not if he makes a mistake, not if he sins, but when he sins, basically God is saying that, I know that there will be a failure in your household from now on forth. He's saying that there will be disobedience. And then as a result of disobedience, there will be chastisement through the rod of men that means other nations invading the nation as a lesson from god solomon will indeed stray after many idols he will marry many queens and he will import the many idols of those nations and all the following kings after that the dynasty of kings if you read first and second kings and first and second chronicles you see a downward spiral of kings who hate the lord closing close, closer and closer to apostasy And God also knew that you would fail him. That all of you would fail him. Betray him many times. Not be interested in his love for you. That you would be, never be, constantly and consistently loyal to him. And so, not only through the line of dynasties of kings does God predict that there will be failure, he also looks at you and he tells you, when you commit iniquity... I won't throw you away like I did Saul, but I will provide for you. I will chastise you. I will correct you, and I'll be a father to you. But this is a problem, isn't it? If the king commits sin, there will be chastisement through the punishment of other nations. In other words, the kingdom will not be secure in the hands of a sinful king. Extended to our homes, Our homes will not be secure in the hands of a sinful homeowner. That's our dilemma. That threatens to undermine the security and the stability of our home, the security of the nation, the security of the world right now. It is our disobedience and rebellion against God. What do we do? So many of us invest so much into stabilizing our homes our legacy, our children, but what really determines the stability and security of our home. Like, what is it that we're really trying to create out of the chaos of Nova, and we try to create a home for ourselves? What is it that really secures it? For the world, it is bricks, framing, and wood. A designer. But for the Christian, what is it that secures... The home, your children. Obedience. Obedience is the pillar. Obedience is the brick. Obedience is the seal frame that we need for our home to be established. That's why in Matthew seven twenty four to twenty seven, let's look at on the slide. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and then does them obedience, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. is stable, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. but it didn't fall, because it had been founded on the rock of Jesus Christ through obedience. But other homes fall. They're unstable. Your children become idols. Your workplace becomes curses. Your family home environment becomes abusive or quiet and hard to be in. The stability that you want so much for your home becomes instability because you are a sinful king over your household. Do you understand that? Do you see that? Do you see that in our families? We are not just talking about our physical homes. In fact, let's go deeper. We've moved from the external home to the kingdom, to the throne, to the, the person, to our homes. And then now we are going to you as an individual. You are God's home. Do you understand that? You are God's home. Do you not realize, it says in scripture, that you are God's temple that he dwells in? Therefore, the stability of your personal life also comes not from the bricks of success, We're talking about the cultural mandate every time. Building a kingdom without a king. It doesn't come from the bricks of success, the mortar of money, and the pillars of good children. Your stability comes from obedience to Jesus Christ. Amen? Your obedience is the stability that you're looking for. But here's the problem. Once again, I've talked to you about the phenomenon what happens if you believe in Jesus and obey him, your life will be stable. If you disobey him, it will be unstable. But here's the problem. We are disobedient all the time. What do we do? This is the gospel for us. Because God knew of our rebelliousness and our sin in order to give us eternal security. He knew that if we were in charge of our lives, it would be a wreck. Who would give the cars, the car keys of a $200,000 car to a five year old. They would wreck it. So, what God does is not give us the kingship to the throne to us, He gives it to His perfect Son, right? So, in order to give us eternal security, that our homes will be secure, that our legacy will be secure, and our nations will be secure. God engaged in a mission much before David's time to send a perfect, righteous king in his son. Now, each of these promises that God gave is only partially fulfilled in Solomon. Yes, David's son and successor to the throne ruled on David's throne for a while. God's mercies never departed from him, even though he sinned. And Solomon did build a huge house for God. But That is only an initial and partial fulfillment. The prophets foretold a greater fulfillment... Of these prophecies, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. What will do this? The zeal of the Lord who is forever and who lasts beyond David's death and Solomon's death, his zeal will put his son on the throne who will be called mighty God and prince of peace. Solomon being a man of peace is not enough. We need a prince of peace to build the house of God. Ultimately, God's promise to David is fulfilled in Jesus who reigns forever. Amen. Amen. He reigns forever, and his throne is now in the church of God, in our homes, in our families, in our households. And the Father's mercy has never departed from Jesus because he was fully obedient in his righteousness. He was fully righteous. And he's not just a man of peace, but he was the prince of peace that still intercedes and sits on the throne for us today. Let's look at Luke one to 31-33 to make sure that Christ is the king that God intended to set upon the throne. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, he's talking to uh, Mary now, and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Let's think about this. The text says, the house of Jacob. That's Israel. Does this promise apply to us today? God intended that it would apply to us way before. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Where Jesus applies this promise to us today. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money. He who has no home, he who has no food, he who has no refrigerator, he who has no home that they have built with their own hands, come to me, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's all for free. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you work for a kingdom that is not your own? When I am building your house, So listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in fatness. Include your ear, incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. So, God applies the covenant to David, to us, for all those who do not have a home in this world who do not have a security, and who do not have a legacy that will continue because it's so fragile, Jesus says, come if you're thirsty. I have built a home for you. Hence, let's look at the mission of God slide that we are compiling more and more. The sixth aspect of the mission of God, to create a people that would forever be ruled by God's righteous and obedient son, In order that we would forever dwell in God's kingdom. Amen? The amen was quiet because you don't know how glorious this is. You don't know how eternal this is. You don't know how good news this is for those who have not found their home in this world and they are sojourning tent after tent after tent, looking for satisfaction, God is now creating a people who will dwell in his home, ruled by his son. And that will give us eternal security. This is the stability of peace for those who live in Christ. We try to build God a home out of good ideas, and we don't inquire of the Lord. We make mistakes. Knowing our disobedience and resulting instability God is now building a home for us, an eternal dynasty ruled by Jesus Christ, and he invites all of us into his home. Once again, what really is a home? Is it where the Wi-Fi connects automatically? Is home where the pillow is just the right size and firmness and height? Is it where the refrigerator never runs out? Ultimately, for God, who is living alone in the Holy of Holies, imagine why he ripped it open when Jesus died for our sins. Because he wanted to rush out and to build his home in you and with you and love you and dwell with you forever. His home is with his children. We are not furnitures in his household. We are his beloved children who belong in his home. That's why Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms for you. If you would but believe in the gospel and turn to Jesus Christ, surrender your sovereignty and control over your brittle sovereign kingdoms, but give it up to the Lord. He has a home for you. And you don't, you shouldn't, you should never take my word for it. Let's again go back to one more verse in Scripture. Revelation 22, 16 through 17. I am the root and the descendant of David, Jesus says, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride. This is like mom and dad calling you home now. It says, come and let the one who hears says come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price come. Hear this as an invitation from Jesus to you to come home to your final resting place. A truly secure home because it is built upon the obedience and perfect righteousness and peace and obedience of Jesus Christ. After all, homes are as only good as their owners, right? When we go home because our God is there, how full our joy will be. How full. We have a a great place waiting for us. Praising come up. We want to let this word settle into our hearts and our minds. What is it that God is trying to do in our lives through Jesus Christ? He is building an eternal security for you. If you are risk averse, if you are scared because you take control and you won't surrender to anyone else, this word is for you today. God says, do not be afraid. Approach me and I'll build security into your life forevermore. And the promise of David shall belong to you through Jesus Christ today. Let's pray as we respond in worship. Let's pray before. Heavenly Father, we dwell in our homes looking at your tent as if you need a home. But Father, indeed, if we look at our lives, we are the ones that go tent to tent to tent, sojourning in this world because we cannot find a home here. The worldviews are not the same. The peoples are not accepting of your children. The culture and even Satan's kingdom itself does not accept their children so we wander place to place to place and on the throne from heaven God looks at his children who wander this earth and in his mission towards humanity father you create a home for us that you would look from your palace and look upon our tents and you would have mercy and say, I will build up your tents with eternal security. I will give you a throne. I'll give you a home. And more importantly, I will give you a perfect king that will rule over your lives and you will fall upon a rock of obedience. May that be the promise that we grasp and claim today, Father. Would you reign over us and secure our homes, our legacies, our lives, and our children, now and forevermore. Be our Prince of Peace. Yes, Lord. Father, there are many restless people that couldn't concentrate through today's sermon. Their mind was so busy flirting from different ideas of security to security to security because they are so insecure. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would weigh them down and anchor them down into today's word and remind them, I am here. If you are thirsty and restless, come to me and may your people respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.